I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with George Orchias. George is the author of Microsoft Windows 7 Administrator's Reference, holds a Master's of Science in Management Information Systems from Florida International University, leads a security team in a large financial institution, and serves on the board of the ISA South Florida chapter. George has been involved in the IT field since 2001. Realizing his passion for IT, he founded the Business Strategies Partners IT Consultants Branch in 2002 and eventually went on to Terramark as a systems administrator. He developed an interest for information security and was eventually promoted to a Security Operations Center or SOC analyst position. After a year of defending critical infrastructure for federal and commercial customers, he moved to an offensive analyst position with a large financial institution where he now manages the advanced penetration testing and vulnerability assessments team. In this episode, we discuss his early IT system roots, the transition from consultant to enterprise security manager, his mentors, what he looks for in a security professional, the very public Equifax breach, giving back to the community, teaching for SANS, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. All right, George, thanks for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, you know, one of the things I like to kind of suss out with people is their start in information security. I know you, you had kind of more of a background in general IT before getting in InfoSec, but kind of walk us through a little bit about how you got started and to where you are now. Yeah, well, I started with video games back when I was probably, you know, 12 years old, I think, around 10 or 12, started playing video games. Back in the day, it was GTA 2, you know, 2D game. And playing it on a laptop, uh, you can modify things. And, you know, in GTA, you kind of want to make uh, the cars go faster and the explosions bigger. So we figured that there's this INI file that if you modify it, you can make some cars faster and some things blow up. So I think that's uh, really where I started, really just trying to figure out how things work and and modify modify them for you know my my goals and my purposes so <clears throat> did that built my first computer because back then you know daddy mommy give me a a computer please it's a thousand dollars or like heck no you know i'm like all right well if i buy the parts and i can build it and both my parents are system engineers so um they like that and built the computer and then started just playing a lot of online multiplayer, Counter-Strike, things like that, and just, you know, hacking the computer, trying to make it go faster than it could, a lot of overclocking and whatnot. Uh, and then, you know, I didn't, it wasn't really a career when, when I got to uh, high school or college, I started doing just residential work, helping people, you know, remove viruses and things like that, doing more IT admin kind of stuff and break fix things and little by little start getting bigger and bigger clients and then uh my first big gig was at uh florida international university where i went to school and there uh they were doing a big uh migration from nt to um active directory so i helped out on that you know big campus they have like 50 
50,000 students. So pretty large organization did uh, consulting work there, went to a job fair and got my job at Terramark. I interviewed for an intern position and, uh, and just went up, uh, <clears throat> went up the ranks there through uh, system administration. They had a very good security team at Terramark. Uh, they were bought by Verizon. Worked down here at the Nap of the Americas. Pretty awesome building. If, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's where the undersea cables come into <clears throat> South Florida and connects the Southeast United States to the rest of the world, mostly LATAM. Uh, they had a good security team there. And, you know, I'd see those guys walking down and be like, man, those are the cool guys. They're doing security stuff. They're hacking. You know, I want to do that. Then since I was in charge of IT systems, one of them included the endpoints. And I looked at, you know, one of the rules on there. It's like, hey, there's an any any rule all the way at the top. I don't think this is how this works. And showed my interest and, you know, they took me under their wing and I got into security through there. And so, you know, there's obviously a lot of paths to take within InfoSec from the offensive to defensive sides. What drew you to more of the red teaming hackerish side than the defensive or maybe forensic side all right so that there when i started in security it was in the security operations center so in terramark i worked uh mostly defense and it was cool because they had a lot of nice clients we were building out uh enterprise cloud we were calling it uh co-location 2.0 before you know cloud was cloud and just figuring out how to segment various different clients so that they're data wouldn't you know mess with others data and whatnot uh, especially when you log things into your sim into your <clears throat> into your net flows and all that so I really started in the defensive space uh, just doing sock work uh, did my time so we did seven to seven shifts and every three months uh, you would switch you'd have to do evenings so uh, did that for a bit but you know taking punches and escalating uh, the hacks that you see them as they come in and you know it, it literally felt like boxing without being able to punch back so got the opportunity to get into uh, the offensive side with a financial and and that's how I got into offense and been there for the last seven years gotcha so you know, you know, certainly working from moving from more of the consulting side to now where you work with you know more on the corporate side, was that a a harder transition? Do you miss consulting, or do you do you like kind of be more in an institutional role? Right. So that's that's an excellent question. Uh, the consulting it was I like that you know everything has its pros and cons. The consulting has its pros where you see different organizations and you the problems are different, right? And you get to understand how, how various different businesses work and whatnot. And I, I ended up studying that in college, uh, management information systems, not just the IT side, but also how businesses work. So I really like that. Um, <clears throat> the thing of working with the bigger, you know, bigger financials and whatnot is uh, they're, they're very, very large networks. Uh, so it's a nice little playground to to be on, uh, and they have a nice budget as well, so you get to play with some of the latest tools. Uh, when something new comes out, uh, we get to check it out because everyone wants to sell sell it to us. So um, th those are the pros there on the on the you know bigger organization side. So that's where I am now, and you know the consulting gig lately is a lot of traveling and whatnot. So. Uh, trying to stay away from that. I already travel enough when I go teach for Sands every other month or so. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, it's a you know, it's a good balance. Um, I still get to hear about other stories. Uh, there's a lot of information sharing in the financial space, so you you do hear of others' challenges and whatnot. 
Gotcha. And, and you, you just touched on the, the next thing I wanted to dive into. So you started teaching for SANS. Uh, what, what courses do you teach for SANS now and how, how did that kind of come about? Right. So it, that came about back in my Terramark days. So SANS, you know, was always looking at the latest thing. They, they were one of our early cloud customers. And uh, the reason why they chose Terramark, Terramark back in the day, their, their competitive advantage in the cloud space was that it was security as a service. You would say, hey, I want an infrastructure as a service and I want, you know, SIM, NetFlow, packet capture, log, whatever you wanted, um, you, you could pick it. Uh, so at that time, I didn't know that the person that started SANS, uh, Stephen Northcutt, the president at that time, uh, came and mo most of the time, you know, people would be behind the glass. There was a snap glass and you could see us in the sock. Uh, but our chief information security officer brought him in and I just happened to be at the SOC that day. Um, and this gentleman comes and starts asking questions. I start showing him uh, a lot of the virtualization stuff, you know, the big VMware shop uh, that we had there in Terramark. And uh, <clears throat> SANS was just coming out with their virtualization security class. So I started uh, my my teaching on a class that's no longer there. It's it was 577, which was uh, introduction to virtualization. It's now a six day or yeah six day course. <clears throat> and I also teach uh, the cloud security fundamentals course, which is a two dayer. A uh, lot of students on that one. Last time I taught it, we had 44 students. So uh, de definitely uh, a lot of people interested in the cloud security space. But uh, my favorite to teach are uh, 504 and 560. So the incident handling course and the uh, penetration network penetration testing course uh, <clears throat> led by uh, John Strand and, and Ed Scotus. Yeah, definitely uh, two, two guys that come up with some pretty cool things. I've taken the 504 course and being able to see some of the offensive stuff, particularly when a lot of my background has been in defensive to know what the offensive people have capabilities of is very interesting to know where their tracks are left. Do you think there's enough of that kind of cross training between red and blue teams? So, you know, their respective disciplines kind of know what to look out for for each other. Right. And that that's that's exactly the theme of uh, 504 is offense informs defense um and you know just how my career uh, progressed right i did defense for a bit and then offense you you have to do both um in information security at least be exposed to both um to be able to do either one of them correctly right because if you're defending and you don't know how the attackers work then it's really tough to defend and if you're attacking and you don't know what the defenders are doing then that's tough as well so uh you know you, you see a big trend now a lot of people talking about purple teaming and whatnot, uh, which is really collaborating with the defensive team and really understanding, you know, like everything in hacking, the, the more you understand, the, the better. Um, so yeah, de de definitely a good theme uh, in that class. And, and it's definitely true. That's that's where everyone should be going uh, in their organizations. It's not it's no longer about just writing a pen test report and saying, hey, look, this is how I got in. Uh, it's obvious that, that everyone's going to get in. I mean, just read the news, right? Uh, but how are you improving it, right? How, how are you improving the teams? And it's not just technology you have to improve. It's process and people as well. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing I've tried to key at least on my pen test engagements I've done the last couple of years. I'm like, it's, it's kind of a missed opportunity if you're not testing the defenders at the same time. If they're not kind of involved with it to a certain degree of seeing how the pen testers are getting in, you're, you're, you're missing that opportunity for some real real world scenarios that are much better than just sitting through a tabletop of, hey, here's how, here's how we can defend something. 
Exactly, exactly. And I mean, all, all of them are, are important, right? So the tabletops are important. The the blind testing is important. And then, you know, the actual collaborative tests. Um, and you do, you have to do them in the right order, right? <laughs> you, you don't just go in and do a full blind test and and <clears throat> and call it a day. You, you start, you know, with the tabletops, make sure you get the communication, the governance, all that built in. That way, when you then do your non-blind test, your your purple team type test, you know what to look for. You're working together. You're seeing uh, the attack come in. You're seeing what you can do, what detective controls, what preventive controls you could put. And then you go and you do the blind while still having that governance's place, right? It's still like the SOC manager, for instance, should know what you're doing, even though the analysts may not, right? Because that's that's what you're testing. And not only a technology, but you want to see, you know, <clears throat> this first time we did this attack, it took you uh, an hour and a half to detect it. The next time we do it, we want that time to come down. We want it to be in minutes instead of hours. Um, so de <clears throat> de definitely all, all of that, and, you know, it's based on, on the maturity of that organization and there's always room to get better. So <clears throat> you really need to assess where you are and, and start moving and continue to mature to, to where you want to be. Yeah, and certainly, you know, with when we talk about kind of it, this is an organizational business risk management, um, and particularly when you're doing these types of testing and scenarios, it's removing it out of just an IT function. Who are some of the other folks with inside an organization that you'd like to see at the table during tabletops or at least sponsors of some of the uh, kind of testing and assessments that get done within an organization? All right, so <clears throat> most of ours are, they're going to start being blue teams, right? So not, not only your security operations center, but also your incident handling team or your CERT team, whatever team that is. Um, and then the actual operators, right? So the administrators, whoever runs operations, they know their environment more than anyone else. So they should be at the table as well uh, <clears throat> to understand what's going on. So um, one of the first times we did it, we actually were caught but it wasn't by any of the blue teams. It was uh, by one of these operators that they saw, you know, a bunch of failed login attempts by a domain admin account. And, you know, they escalated correctly. And, and <clears throat> we were able to catch it and say, wow, nice. You know, we, we didn't even think that this was a capability, um, but, you, you know, you, you caught it. So um, generally, the, the more people you you involve, uh, the better the visibility obviously uh, helps out a lot. And, and the, you know, the company culture, of course, um, if you have a top-down approach where your CEO or your president really cares about security, um, you know that obviously helps out being a, a top-down approach. Gotcha. Now, one of the things you did too is also write a, uh, you know, as far as giving back to the community, you've also wrote a book, uh, Windows, Microsoft Windows Seven Administrator's Reference Guide. Kind of why? Why did you focus on that topic in, in that area? All right, so that's interesting. That was back in, but before I got into security, I was, as I mentioned, a system administrator. And back then, you know, Twitter had just come out. Uh, blog posts, Blogspot was uh, a big thing, and all I did was, you know, I wanted, <clears throat> I want to start my career. So I was blogging a lot. I was um, writing a lot of uh, posts, a lot of tweets, and. Uh, the publisher, Singress, I guess they saw a few of my posts. I was always interested in like beta versions of Windows and whatnot. So I would get the latest version, latest beta, mess with it, and then, you know, write posts about it, uh, about various different things. And I think they saw it through Twitter that I someone retweeted one of my blog posts or something like that. And they came and asked like, hey, you interested in writing a book? You, you have four months if you are. <laughs> I'm like, all right. And, you know. 
Well, one of my issues back in the day was I would never say no, right? So I was doing my master's, I was working in the SOC full time, and I, I got asked to write a book in four months. And of course, I said yes. So um, a very tough four months, very tough year overall, just going through it. But you know, it's part of doing the time. Um, you know, obviously, writing a book is is fulfilling in multiple ways, um, but very draining. So I was young and I said, let's do it. And uh, luckily, Windows 7 uh, is still used all over the place today. So uh, we, we it, it was good that it was a Windows 7 and not Windows Vista. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, and that's one of the things you know, we see a lot of people in the community, like try to look for different things to do. And I add toward with the idea of different books. And I've talked to other people and said, I want to write a book. But, you know, sometimes people don't know where to get started. So what's some of the advice you would give to somebody who maybe wants to go down that path of, of writing a book? Well, that's that's exactly what you need to do is ask someone that has written a book. So you had a uh, Harvey Carvey uh, on here uh, a couple episodes ago, and he was working with me and Tara Mark, and of course uh, uh, he's written books and also with the same publisher. So when they approached me, I'm like, hey, I know this publisher, and I talked to him and I asked him, and I mean, what he told me is exactly what I'm going to tell you because it was very true. Is you know, you ask yourself why are you doing it, right? And it's not only a book, but it's anything, right? What, why are you doing it? Um, and make sure you're doing it for the right reasons, right? You're not going to write a book for money um, because there, there's a lot of other ways in InfoSec to, to make money, right? Uh, <clears throat> so if you, if you are trying to do it for that, I, I suggest you you think about something else. Um, it's, it's, you know, you have to love to write. You need to, um, you know, be creative and, and have the time and the discipline to say, you know, I need to sit down and write this and, uh, you know, always wanting to give back to the community. Um, I think that's probably one of the biggest things of if you want to write a book or even, you know, publish or, you know, doing what you're doing in podcasts and everything, you, you have to have that drive to want to give back to the community. And, and that was probably my biggest motivator was, uh, you know, giving back. I, I had learned so much just by reading that I wanted to give back as well and, you know, figured out as many venues as possible. Like I said, it was really just blog posts that got me to that. So um, you, you really just have to ask yourself, why, why do I want to write a book and uh, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Gotcha. Now, you know, you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, being able to reach out to Harlan at the time to get some advice. Have there been some other mentors or people that, that have been, I guess, uh, particularly uh, beneficial for your career, people that you've really been able to, you know, kind of call on throughout, throughout your career to get you to where you are? Yeah, definitely. So in the IT space, when, when I started doing the residential work, I was working a small business um, that my dad and my uncle started, both of them system engineers, both of them consultants and, you know, understood the technical and the business side. So both of them um, and still throughout my life, obviously. Um, and then once I started getting into InfoSec and, and Terramark, I mean, I had the opportunity to work with a lot of very, very smart people, very good hackers. Um, you mentioned Harlan. Uh, a few others, um, Pete Nicoletti, who is now the CISO at uh, at Hertz, uh, he was one of the first guys that got me and said, hey, you know, um, <clears throat> he saw the drive in security and just always, you know, took me and I always saw him as a mentor and it was interesting. I, I hadn't seen him in an, a year or so. I met him uh, earlier this year at a conference and I told him, hey, you know, yeah, I considered you a, a very good mentor to me. And he's like, wow, I didn't even know that because... You know, when you get a mentor, it's not really like a formal like, hey, will you be my mentor? It's really about asking the right questions and and <clears throat> and them wanting to give you those answers. So um, throughout that, you know, I've I've 
I've just asked the right questions to certain people and the people that want to help me out, you know, I consider them uh, mentors and I continue to reach out to them, right? Even even after a number of years, you, it's always good to keep your, your networking and the people who got you to where you are, um, you know, always grateful for them. Uh, so P. Nicoletti definitely... Uh, Oh, was one of the big ones on all the folks in Terramark. I mean, that, that was a good time uh, to get into InfoSec and an excellent team. You always want to work with a good team. Um, and then my current uh, job, my current manager, who's been the same manager for seven years, is just well, you know, rock solid. Uh, everyone there came from technical backgrounds and, and then up the management, up into management, which is always a hard decision to make. So uh, they guided me through and you know, when, when someone has already done it, you, you tend to, you know, believe them and, and follow, uh, what they say. So, um, that definitely a number, a number of mentors and I'm very grateful for all of them. Now that you've kind of, you know, gone up that management ladder yourself and you're, you're obviously trying to bring on some more people and, and manage people and, and be that, that mentor yourself. Have you found that to, you know, any particular challenges going from being the kind of hands-on keyboard person to maybe doing possibly less of that and more of the people management side. Yeah, uh, managing people is a lot harder than managing a computer. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, de definitely a, a lot of change. You know, you always want to stay and you need to stay technical, right? Um, to be able to understand and, and be able to explain to senior managers what, what's really going on. Um, of course, I do miss the hands-on keyboard. I still try, try to get uh, a little time in. You know, I put about an hour or two a day uh, to, you know, not, not being in meetings and actually getting things done, um, from the technical side. And then as far as the mentoring, right. Um, definitely. I mean, we, we have to mentor now. Well, once you, once you, you get to where you are and, you know, obviously you're, you're always going to keep going, you do need to look back and, and help the uh, others. So, um, mentored, uh, a student from Ohio state, uh, that, uh, that, you know, said, Hey, I want to get into network security. What do I do? You know, and, Again, it wasn't like, hey, can you mentor me? He was just asking the right questions. I was giving him answers and, and you know, he kept coming back and now he works with us um, and he's doing great. I mean, he recently got promoted and everything. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> I think that, that answers both those questions, right? Yeah, well, that's very cool. It's, it's, it's rewarding to see that, that growth within somebody, um, particularly when they're coming to you for that kind of advice and mentoring. Um, but, you know, when, when you are looking to kind of recruit and hire somebody, what are some of the qualities that you look forward for people to be on your team within information security? Uh, the drive definitely has to be there. Uh, you know, they have to be interested. I'll ask them, you know, what, what, what have you seen on the news lately? What's interesting, you know, and if people are out there looking and, you know, actively liking and, and learning every day. Um, it's really tough to, to get them in, right? Because you, you have to stay up to date. You have to be reading the news every day and seeing what's going on. Um, and also just thinkers. Uh, I'll Generally on my interviews, I will ask them enough till I get to a point where I know they don't know the answer. And then I'll ask, and then I'll ask them the questions so and tell them to think it through and think out loud because that's what really what we need. We need thinkers. We don't need robots, right? We can automate anything that a robot can do. Uh, we can automate it and we're, we are automating things more and more. Um, so really what we need is people that can think. And, you know, we, we've built a program where we'll take people straight out of uh, college and, and take them through and really take the path that they want based on what they want to do. You, you always have to keep people, you know, 
doing what they want to do because when someone wants to do something, it, they will do it a lot better than when you tell them to do something they don't want to do. Uh, so I, I think that's that's probably one of the keys to success there. And, you know, always keep people challenged. Um, make sure people, you know, want to be challenged. That they don't want to just come to a nine-to-five job uh, because InfoSec is a nine-to-five job, right? If if they just want a nine-to-five job, then need to go elsewhere, right? <clears throat> so th th those are probably some of the key things I I ask for in my interviewing process. Uh, just see if they think. Uh, obviously, you know, the technical information uh, is good. <clears throat> but you can always teach that. You could teach technology. You can teach uh, security uh, development. Obviously, a little harder, a little more time-consuming to teach. So we we do like getting developers that are wanting to go into the infosec side, um, <clears throat> just because that that you know is a bigger investment time-wise. Um, but when we hire people, you know, we we always think you know three or four months of intense training before we start you know getting productivity out of that person. Gotcha. So, you know, I guess you mentioned as colleges as a place to recruit, are there other places that you look in other communities that you look forward to kind of recruit talent? Oh, for sure. So <laughs> rarely are we recruiting like through standard HR methods. So a lot of networking um, in South Florida, we have a big, big community here. It's three counties, um, Palm Beach, Broward County, and Miami-Dade County. So there's a number of areas here. There's a, a hackerspace called Hack Miami. So attending those meetings, there's VBeers, there's OWASP, there's ISSA. Um, there isn't an ISC Square chapter anymore, but you know, there's so many things going on throughout the month, right? Like on any given week, you can do something network-wise um, to meet people. So a lot of networking, going out and, and finding people. Uh, SANS obviously is a good place. The SANS conferences, other infosec conferences, and you know, we we're in South Florida, so it's a nice place. A lot of people like moving down here from uh, for colder places. So um, we're in a good location, but even then, I mean, we're 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 feeling the the difficulty in hiring, just like uh, everyone else in the industry is. Yeah, it, it seems to seems to be a challenge to try to find the right people and then to kind of groom them when there's projects and things that need to get done now. Um, and right. one of the things that I've, I've seen is, you know, a challenge in leadership too. It's not just the hands on people, but it's, it's finding people like yourself that can manage and lead teams uh, to get the most out of those individuals that get hired becomes just as important. Do you think that's kind of a fair assessment of some of the challenges in the industry or am I a little too off base? No, that's that's exactly it. And, and you know, it's interesting you, you mentioned leaders and, and that's the thing. Even though you're hiring people, um, a lot of the people that we're hiring are not don't want to be managers. Right. They they are very technical. They don't want to manage people, but that doesn't mean that they're not leaders. So we are looking to hire leaders that are self-driven. Right. Because. I don't want to be micromanaging. I can't be micromanaging people uh, all day. I, you know, we'll, we'll meet once a week and, uh, you know, kind of lay out what's going on and and go from there. And, you know, uh, lately, you know, last couple of weeks, a number of issues have, have come out, a number of vulnerabilities, interesting vulnerabilities. Like my team just gets them, says, hey, look, this came out. I'm looking into it. I'm working on it. Like I don't have to tell them, hey, go create a a record that you are going to work on this, you know, they just do it. And that's very important as we, um, <clears throat> as we hire people, uh, we want them to be self-starters. We want them to lead themselves. And 
you know, it rubs off on people. So when you put all these people together, you know, one, they're collaborating. They're not the smartest person in the room um, and they're they're challenged. So uh, it works out very well. Gotcha. Now, so you certainly kind of touched on some recent vulnerabilities and there's obviously vulnerabilities are coming out all the time. But the, the, the big one that's kind of made the news lately is, is certainly everything around Equifax and the stretch vulnerability. It, what I found was interesting, too, is that there was some criticism and, and departures of some of the senior leadership. You know, it seems to be the new thing is when there's big public breaches is let's go let's go put heads on the stake from the C-suite. And the two people that left, the CIO and the chief, chief security officer, there was a lot of you know, I, I would, I don't know how else to put this, but a little bit of like a, a nerd rage that, that occurred in social media about, you know, the fact that the, the security officer had kind of a music background. And I, I thought that was right. kind of unfair. I mean, you and I actually both know somebody who has a particularly good music background and is an excellent pen tester. That, that, exactly. that, that doesn't, that doesn't preclude somebody from being a good, um, person in security. And I, and I think what we, we run the risk of is kind of going back to some of the things we were talking about earlier is alienating people that might want to enter the industry that don't necessarily have an IT background. Um, do, do you kind of see that as a challenge now too, where there's been this pile on of somebody, oh geez, they don't have an IT background, they can't be in security. Yeah, that that never stopped me um, from hiring anyone, right? So I have, you know, you, you gave the example of a music major and does very good music work. Um, and now he's a very good pen tester. Um, and, you know, I've hired what one of my top managers as a psychology manager, right? That's, uh, you can argue, oh, this is good for social engineering, but at the end of the day, that's not, that's not what we hired him for, right? Um, so yeah, I, I think that definitely was unfair on, on the entire community's part, especially because half the hackers out there don't even have degrees, right? Like many of us said, you know, we want to do this, we want to get our degrees, but there's a lot of people that <clears throat> don't have degrees, right? And they're still, you know, it doesn't change whether they're they're better at what they do or not. Um, so, you know, overall, I think, yeah, it, it was very unfair. The the whole, you know, C-suite taking, um, you know, taking the hit for it. That that should open the eyes to to other C-suites, right? To maybe care a little more, um, and you know, open their eyes and see see what they can do. At least learn from these, you know, see see what what you can do better yourself. But um, you know, it's, it's bound to happen, right? Yeah. And that, and that kind of goes a little bit about the organizational structure, um, with, well, within organizations, you know, we've seen typically, you know, the, the, the CISO or somebody's a security officer fall under the kind of it guidance and reporting structure. Do you think that's the best place for it? And do you see that changing as more people maybe kind of move the CISO reporting directly to the board or other members of the C-suite? Yeah, I think it comes down to the the company's culture and really, you know, how much the CEO cares about it. I mean, as far as how you report up, um, I don't think that's, I've, I've thought of it, you know, I've seen businesses that have done it well both ways, right? Um, and it really depends, right? If the CISOs reporting up to say the CFO or the CIO, you know, are they really getting a seat at the table? Or you know, how much influences are they giving versus if they're reporting directly to the CEO? Um, and the same, and also with board of directors, right? So not even C-suite, but boards um, are now becoming even more interested in in information security. So when you have the board also caring about it, um, it really doesn't matter who reports to who because the board can tell you, you know, and and can ask questions, and and they're going to get routed to the right place. Um, so as far as where 
you know, where the CISO reports, I mean, I've, I've heard the debates, I've thought it as well, and I, it's, it's really based on the company. I, I would do it from a case-by-case basis and instead of saying, you know, CISOs should report directly to CEOs versus CIOs versus, you know, CIOs. But I think overall, it's, it's what, I'm, what I'm seeing now kind of come out of this debate, too, is that ultimately it's coming down to the language that's being used, that it should be talked about in business risk as opposed to just technical terms. Yes, of course. Well, and that, that, that's why they're talking about it at the board of director level, right? And board of directors rarely talk about technical risk, right? Um, so de- definitely, it, it, it needs to be seen as a company-wide uh, business risk instead of just you know an information risk. Um, and that's why a lot of companies now are just having chief security officers instead of information security officers like uh, Facebook, for instance, right? The Alex Stamos is a CSO, not CISO, right? Um, so you, you see that a lot. I think Uber probably, I think, has the, the same model as well um, of just doing all security and not not just information security, which is a big fight as well. Like within an organization, if you think about it, right, um, particularly in the financial space, back in the day, you had physical security, right? People were actually going in physically and robbing a bank. And then technology started to come in and you had your CIO and your CISO. And now they're realizing like, look, these malicious actors are doing both. Like they're putting, they're doing digital attacks and physical attacks to, you know, we got to work together and, you know, who reports to who now, you know? So uh, you you, you do see a lot, some organizations going through those, particularly the ones that have, um, you know, that physical security department um, in in areas that are are important, right? And obviously not every industry uh, has the same concerns, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, all of security needs to be seen as a business risk, just like you know that physical security was back in the day. Sure. Now, certainly, you're in a you're in a role where you probably get pitched by vendors constantly for the next X Gen Y Gen Blinky Light thing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, what are some of the things that you use as criteria for evaluating uh, products and vendors that come to your door trying to hawk their latest wares? Yeah. So we we definitely do a lot of that and. Um, and the, and they they come for different reasons, right? Some come because they want to be invested in. Some want to do incubators. Some want to scale uh, to a larger site because they're a startup. And then some of them actually want to, uh, you know, that want you to be inside, right? Or want want to be inside your org. Want want you as a customer. Um, so so we get all four all four types. Um, we do have very good teams and in various innovation centers uh, around the world, right? Your your usual places, right? Your Silicon Valley, uh, Tel Aviv and Israel, uh, New York is one of the up and coming um, and various other places, right? Um, <clears throat> so they, they look at most of these products and then they'll come to us when when it gets to a certain point of maturity um, where we, we would look at it. And we're, we're not just going to look at it because uh, we want to put it inside. We could also look at it just, you know, if we're going to invest in it, then let's see if it really does what it does. Um, and like I said, we, we have a, a, a large network, so we, we get to play around uh, quite a bit. We have a nice lab and um, see if these products actually do what they're supposed to. So um, most of the time, you know, we'll, if it's a security pro- product, we'll, we'll test for the functionality. If it's, you know, some other type of solution, we want to make sure that it's not going to introduce risk into the organization by, you know, plugging it into the network. So a variety of different things are done, you know, from a 
business perspective, just you know, asking the right questions to actual technical testing, um, and then functional uh, functional testing as well to to make sure that you know it's not really introducing risk. And then as to you know the cool things that are coming out, there's there's a lot of cool stuff definitely coming out, um, and I, I really like working with them. You know, a lot of mo- most of the time we'll see them, and you know it's too early, but you you keep your eyes on those on those uh, different organizations and. For every one, you know, every new sector that they have, uh, there's going to be multiple uh, vendors trying to do their thing as well. So, you know, you, you keep your eyes on them and, and see what, which ones may, uh, may, may be beneficial in the future. Do you think there's there's going to be any particular, you know, if we kind of look at it from the perimeter network application and endpoint, are there any particular product areas that you think need the most attention or, or spaces that need the most attention or that you know, are going to really kind of help organizations if there's further development within the, those types of security products. Yes. And so one of the one that just came to mind, right, is uh, um, <clears throat> it's what they're calling the software defined perimeter, right? So you will need to log into your office or you're, you're going to work remotely right now, right? Most organizations are VPNing in and then you have access to your entire network. Why is that the case, right? So with software-defined perimeter, um, based on what you need to do, you only get access to those particular systems, um, which is, you know, it's a bit of a game changer for how we do remote access traditionally. And that is a big difference when you do, when you start considering like business-to-business connections, when you start considering vendors coming in, you know, you give them access only to this. And even if that vendor gets compromised, they're, the only thing they'll be able to, that malicious actor will be able to do is mess around with that particular area that that vendor had access to. Um, which, you know, if you look at, you know, Target is probably the, the one that comes to mind, right? They, they got in through uh, a number of different vendors and then eventually got to a point of sale system, which would, would never happen if if you you know follow these software defined perimeter type products and solutions, right? Um, so that I think that that's probably the the one that's caught my eye the most on the perimeter side. Very cool, yeah, yeah. Because when you go to RSA or Black Hat, it's hard to kind of uh, separate the signal to noise to know what's what's actually going to be good at times because there's just you know it's a, it's a hot space right now. There's a lot of advertising and a lot of branding that goes on, but it's sometimes difficult to know what's going to be effective or not. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, I mean, I went, I didn't do RSA, but I did a uh, black hat and it's like every year that vendor center is bigger and bigger and everyone has a silver bullet for, for everything. Right. So there's definitely a lot, a lot of noise and, you know, you try to have the technical conversation at these booths and unless it's like the smaller ones that have the smaller booths, they, they don't have, you know, very technical people there. So, you know, I almost get no value out of going into that expo center because I start asking questions and no one can actually answer them. And then, you know, they want to meet later on and whatnot. And, you know, I can do that. I can do that from my house, right? I don't need to go to, or from my office. I don't need to go to Black App for that. But then they got to, how are they going to scan your badge, George? I mean, that's the important yeah. part. You know? Well, yeah. That, and that's the first thing I do is take off the little NFC card that's in your badges. So, because, you know, something like they just scan you. They don't even ask. It's like, hey, you know, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? So I just take it off. And then if, for you know, there's someone really interested, I ask them for their card and um, and then contact them. Because, uh, you know, working at a, a large organization that where they know that uh, you have a nice budget, it's, I mean, you you would just get spammed every single day. Day, you know, so really have to limit that and 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 
have a team that, you know, we pretty much have internal teams that look at these new products and then filter it out for us. And then we focus on, on the good ones, which is obviously a nice place to be. It's not, not that time consuming for us. And we get to check out the, the real good stuff. That's very cool. Yeah, I, I think I remember a couple of years ago at Black Hat, there was trying to talk to somebody at a booth and the same kind of thing. There was somebody literally banging a baseball bat on a table trying to demo something by just being the noisiest booth in there. And it's like, it's it's very hard to, <laughs> to, right. to have those conversations. Um, but George, I, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today to kind of talk to me about the various things that are going on. But where, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter is probably the best one, uh, at Jorge Orchillas, um, <clears throat> pretty unique name there. So, um, you know, you can message me on there. Uh, I'm not blogging much lately, uh, but you know, you can find me there. You can find me on, uh, most conferences, uh, at least the bigger ones. I'm missing DerbyCon this week, but, yeah, no, uh, me too. Got, got, got a couple of guys, got a couple of guys there sending uh, a lot of good stuff coming out this week. Uh, so you know, I, I make the bigger ones and, you know, I'm always around in the community and teaching for SANS. Like I said, about every other month I'm, I have a class. Um, so if you're interested in 504 uh, or 560, getting into insane handling or pen testing, uh, check us out. We'll be in Miami uh, in January and uh, in Boston in, in March. Excellent. I'll be sure to put all, all that information in the show notes uh, because, yeah, actually, that's how we met was through through your SANS teaching. So it's, uh, yep. it's, it's uh, you know, it's another great networking uh, avenue. Yep, for sure. All right, George. So thank you again so much for being on the show today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. I did. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Yes. And so one of the one that just came to mind, right, is a, uh, um, it's what they're calling the software defined perimeter, right? So you would need to log into your office or you're, you're going to work remotely right now, right? Most organizations are VPNing in and then you have access to your entire network. Why is that the case, right? So with software defined perimeter, um, based on what you need to do, you only get access to those particular systems, um, which is, you know, it's a bit of a game changer for how we do remote access traditionally. And that is a big difference when you do, when you start considering like business to business uh, connections, when you start considering vendors coming in, um, you know, you give them access only to this. And even if that vendor gets compromised, they're the only thing they'll be able to, that malicious actor will be able to do is mess around with that particular area that that vendor had access to. Um, which, you know, if you look at, you know, Target is pro probably the, the one that comes to mind, right? They, they got in through uh, a number of different vendors and then eventually got to a point of sale system, which would, would never happen if if you you know follow these software defined perimeter type products and solutions, right? Um, so that I think that that's probably the the one that's caught my eye the most on the perimeter side. Very cool, yeah, yeah. Because when you go to RSA or Black Hat, it's hard to kind of uh, separate the signal to noise to know what's what's actually going to be good at times because there's just you know it's a, it's a hot space right now. There's a lot of advertising and a lot of branding that goes on, but it's sometimes difficult to know what's going to be effective or not. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, I mean, I went, I didn't do RSA, but I did uh, Black Hat. And it's like every year that vendor center is bigger and bigger. And everyone has a silver bullet for, for everything, right? So there's definitely a lot, a lot of noise. And, you know, you try to have the technical conversation at these booths. And unless it's like the smaller ones that have the smaller booths, they, they don't have, you know, very technical people there. So, you know, I almost get no value out of going into that expo center because I start asking questions and no one can actually answer them. And then, you know, they want to meet later on and whatnot. And, you know, I can do that. I can do that from my house, right? I don't need to go to, or from my office. I don't need to go to Black App for that. But then they got to, how are they going to scan your badge, George? I mean, that's the important yeah. part. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. And that's the first thing I do is take off the little NFC card that's in your badges. So, because, you know, something like they just scan you. They don't even ask. It's like, hey, you know, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? So I just take it off. And then if, for you know, there's someone really interested, I ask them for their card and um, and then contact them because, uh, you know, working at a, a large organization that where they know that uh, you have a nice budget, it's, I mean, you, you would just get spammed every single day you know so really have to limit that and 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 have a team that you know we pretty much have internal teams that look at these new products and then filter it out for us and then we focus on on the good ones which is obviously a nice place to be it's not not that time consuming for us and we get to check out the the real good stuff that's very cool yeah i, I think i remember a couple of years ago at black hat there was trying to talk to somebody at a booth and the same kind of thing there was somebody literally banging a baseball bat on a table trying to demo something by just being the noisiest booth in there and it's like it's it's very hard to <laughs> to, right. have, to have those conversations um but george i, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today to kind of talk to me about the various things that are going on, but where, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter's probably the best one, uh, at Jorge Orchillas, um, <clears throat> pretty unique name there. So, um, you know, you can message me on there. Uh, I'm not blogging much lately, uh, but you know, you can find me there. You can find me on, uh, most conferences, at least the bigger ones. I'm missing DerbyCon this week, but yeah, no, uh, got, got, got a couple of guys. Got a couple of guys that are sending uh, a lot of good stuff coming out this week. Uh, so, you know, I, I make the bigger ones, and you know, I'm always around in the community and teaching for Sands. Like I said, about every other month, I'm I have a class. Um, so if you're interested in 504 uh, or 560, getting into insane handling or pen testing. Uh, check us out. We'll be in Miami uh, in January and uh, in Boston in in March. Excellent. I'll be sure to put all all that information in the show notes uh, because yeah, actually that's how we met was through through your Sands teaching. So it's uh, yep. it's it's uh, you know it's another great networking uh, avenue. Yep, for sure. All right, George. So thank you again so much for being on the show today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. I did. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.